0: My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the rebirth action comics run by writer Dan Jurgens is returning guest Scott Honig. Welcome back. I'm back. It's been a minute. It's so fun to be back. First episode of 2022 for you, my friend.
1: Sir. Sure, but not the last.
0: Not the last. In fact, before I press record, we were talking about some other episodes that you're going to be on, so we have a lot of fun stuff planned. And I have to start with an apology slash defense of myself, because the last time you were on, you participated in our big crisis till death event uh, towards the end of 2021. And in particular, you did a three episode swing where we covered approximately 150 issues of Superman comics <laughs> from the early no, no. triangle era. And at the time, I'm, I know I said this to you off mic, I think I probably even said it on the show that the next time you were on, it would not be a large reading assignment. Yet here we are to discuss a fairly sizable run of comics. However, here's my defense. (laughs) I did keep my word because the first episode that I reached out to you about doing for this year is actually an upcoming one. And for that, it's only going to be one trade paperback. We're going to be looking at the Jeff Johns, Richard Donner run on action comics. That's going to be part of an event that I'm doing looking at the Superman of Richard Donner in comics and film. And so that was the first one that I reached out to you about. So I kept my word. I was like, it's one trade. It's a, it. it's a light reading assignment. And then I decided to do this episode looking at the rebirth era. And I was thinking about who I wanted to ask. And of course you came to mind, but I said, no, I told him I was going to give him a break. And, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to say that you brought this upon yourself, but literally <laughs> as I was thinking about who am I going to ask for this? You texted me. About something unrelated, and I was like, I feel like the universe is telling me to ask Scott, and so I did. So you only have yourself to blame is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I must have somehow sensed it and texted you, and then here we are.
0: <laughs> but I was very happy that uh, that you <laughs> wanted to do this, and like I said, upcoming ones won't be as substantial a reading assignment. Did you find though all that, good, Did you find, though, that these issues went a lot faster than those Triangle Era comics that we had read?
1: Yeah, and one of the things I'm sure we're going to end up talking about is is the way that modern comics are written. They tend to be that you know decompressed type of storytelling, a little bit uh, lighter on text, a little bit uh, faster paced, and so it yeah it didn't take me quite as long to to get through them, but at the same time I'm wondering how effective that storytelling method is for the stories that Jurgens telling here. Yes.
0: Oh, I got thoughts. I think you and I are on the same page. I think our opinions might diverge a bit from the prevailing opinions out there based on what I've heard, but this is a safe space here, and we'll we'll share what we thought about this run. So specifically, what we're looking at are Action Comics numbers 957 through 999, <laughs> and for context, I also read the two-part Convergence miniseries and the eight-part Lois and Clark miniseries. Uh, the special that really wrapped up the Jurgens run. And there was a 12-page story in Action Comics 1000 that I read as well. But really, those Action Comics issues, that's the, the meat of what we're talking about today. And we also threw in the Reborn crossover with Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson's Superman title. And the arcs specifically that, that it comprises are Path to Doom, Superman Meet Clark Kent, and Lois Lane Back at the Planet, Men of Steel, the Mild-Mannered, Reborn, and New World Trifecta, Revenge, The Oz Effect, and Booster Shot. So those are the primary storylines that make up the Dan Jurgens run on, on Action Comics. And there were numerous artists who contributed to this run. Patrick Zercher was an early one and a, and a main one, but there were a number of others as well, and we'll talk about them as we move forward. So we'll begin, as I always do, with the big picture question. <laughs> and first, let me ask you this. Did you read this run as it was originally coming out? And if so, how did the experience then compare with the reading experience now?
1: I am going to be unable to answer that question because when I read it this time, it was like I was reading it for the first time. I absolutely just didn't remember having read it. I know I did. I own the trade paperbacks. I definitely read it when it was coming out but as soon as i started and realized that none of it was coming back to me really i, I said well this can't be a good sign <laughs> you know like it's one thing when you know if you love a book and you remember it for that reason it's another thing if you absolutely abhor the book and remember it for that reason I, i'm 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 sad to sort of report that i i didn't remember it really at all uh, so, and it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, it was 2016, right. That they did rebirth. Mm-hmm. So I, I was wondering why I didn't remember it. And I, I, I just didn't. So it felt like the first time. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so, all right. I guess then before, although that is very telling, I think that that tells us a lot, yeah, but yeah. before we unpack our feelings towards the run, uh, let me answer the first part of that question for myself. I did not read it as it was first coming out. This was the first time that I read it. And that plays into my view of it in a major way. But just to give the the context for this, from Death of Superman through Infinite Crisis, I read monthly. I read the single-issue comics as they came out. After Infinite Crisis, I made the decision to switch exclusively to trade paperbacks for all the reasons that you often hear from people. And the period between Infinite Crisis and Flashpoint ended up being spottier than I intended. So in theory, I was reading in trade paperback, but there were a number of runs, sad to say, but Kurt Busiek on Superman, James Robinson on mm-hmm. Superman, and then that New Krypton saga, I started each one of them and they did not hold my interest. So I did read the Jeff Johns portion of that that period, but for most of the rest of it, it was like a little bit here and there and I didn't finish it. And then that era wrapped up with Straczynski's Superman Walking the Earth arc which I did not read, but I will. And, and he
1: left in the middle anyway.
0: Yes. Well, he had other fish to fry in the earth one universe yes, he did. and mm-hmm. the Paul Cornell run on action comics featuring Lex, which I did read and I'm going to be reading again for another event that we have coming up. But so the end result was that after, you know, whatever a decade and a half, however long it was of reading very, very consistently, it got a lot spottier and then came flashpoint and <laughs> I stopped. I mean, that was really it. it, and it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily in anger, in all in all honesty. But my view very much was, this is not my Superman. We did away with. And you're Hayward, talking about the
1: new, the new 52, the Superman? new 52
0: Superman. Yeah. yeah. So I really sat out that entire era, and in the future on this podcast, I will be rectifying that. And I know because I, mean, I see it on Twitter. I know there are people who got into Superman or got into comics with that era, and there's a lot of love for that. So it's all good now. <laughs> But at the time, I just felt we had lost the marriage, we had lost the Kents, and it just felt like this is not my version of the character. I read Flashpoint, and then I read Justice League number one, and I was just like, you know what, this, this just isn't for me. So I was out. Then in 2016, like you said, we got Rebirth, and the return of the pre-52 Superman and Lois. And overall, a restoration of hope and optimism across the DC universe. That was the, the line at the time. And hand in hand with that, I, I made a little experiment for myself. After all of this time of reading and trade, I decided I'm going to try reading monthly again, and I'm going to set up a pull list at a new comic shop, because my my comic shop had unfortunately closed uh, a year prior. And I was like, I'm going to see if I can replicate that comic shop experience somewhere else. I'm going to see if I can get excited about going to the shop every week and reading monthly. And so I signed up for a bunch of the DC Rebirth books including Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason's Superman, not the Dan Juergens action book, which might be telling in a way. And I have a couple of theories as to why I did that, but we can circle back to that. But so I read, I did that for about six months. And in the end, you really can't go home again. I was not able to create the type of experience that I wanted for myself. And I said, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. It was fun to try. You know, the, the shop that I went to was great. It's the Spider's Web in Yonkers, New York. Great shop, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. And reading monthly wasn't doing much for me either. I think I realized that I had made the right call as far as you know, waiting and and reading arcs when they were completed. Uh, so I had read, you know, six months worth of the the Rebirth era Superman title only, and that's been it. And for all these years, finishing the Tomasi run and then getting to the Jurgens run, it's always been on my list. And I've always heard, I mean, really pretty consistently, very positive things from people, friends and strangers alike, about what a great era this was for Superman and what wonderful runs. So I went into this, to be honest, with fairly high expectations. So that's the backdrop for, for me and how I came to this run. And as always, the context and perspective are really important because I think that that context for me really informed my view of this run in a major, major way. So I'll toss it back to you now. <laughs> you didn't really remember, uh, you know, you're reading the, the first time. So it was like you were reading this for the first time. Now, what was your overall impression of the Dan Jurgen's run? I'm, I'm, I'm tepid on it. I, I, you know,
1: there are some, there are some moments that I really enjoyed. Uh, there were some moments I was pretty turned off by. And everything else, the way that I characterize it for me is it felt like a cover band doing someone's greatest hits, right? What we see in this run is, is Juergens bringing back so many of the characters and concepts from the 90s run. And, and that's actually what makes this really fun is because you and I are uniquely poised having just had those three discussions about that 90s run, which largely featured Dan Jurgens stories, you know to, to then transition to this and see those points of connection because it hasn't been 30 years it's been a couple of months um, but but it just felt like he was going back to that well but those concepts in a modern context didn't quite, hold up they didn't quite work in the same way um, the in the 90s at the at the very least I could say there is a certain charm to those concepts even when they didn't work a hundred percent there was a charm to them and and maybe that's my age uh, you know I, I was a child of the 80s and 90s and so those Superman comics speak to a time in my comics reading where you know as a 13 14 15 year old this was, new and exciting. And now I'm 43. And, you know, I, I've, I've read so many superhero comics that I don't want to even lay it all at Jergen's feet. I I think I have to own some of this that I, I just may be in a time in my life where unless someone's doing something really new and interesting and different and really pushing boundaries, I may not be the target audience, and that's fine. I'm thrilled that there are so many people who love this run. They should. The Rebirth, like the New 52 before it, was a jumping on point for a lot of readers, and a lot of readers who were 12, 13, 14 years old when those started are going to say, that's my Superman. And now 30 years from now, they're going to be reading Superman and say, no, it's not New 52, or it's not Rebirth, and they're going to not like it because of that. But so, I, I'm gonna own some of that, that maybe it's my age and my my long experience with reading superhero comics that it, it just wasn't for me, I think.
0: That's all fair. And as usual, like you and I are are coming from a similar place here. I would say for myself, I really wanted to love this run, and I didn't. But I went in truly hoping that I would. I didn't hate it, and there's a lot to enjoy here. They're definitely solidly constructed, readable stories, and Jurgens, having spent so much time writing Superman in the 90s, has a very firm grasp on the characterization. It definitely felt like I was reading Superman, and that's great. A lot of the issues I had, I think, could be, and I without knowing all of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, but I suspect that a lot of the things I had an issue with might point more to editorial. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I felt, and we'll talk about this more, but I felt like the first part of the run spent so much time reconciling the pre-52 and 52 versions of the characters only to jettison all of that in the Reborn arc where it merged those versions of the characters. And it just sort of felt like, why the F did we spend all of this time Juggling the, these different versions and timelines, and then the Oz effect seemed to be pointing towards Doomsday Clock, and as we know from reading Doomsday Clock, ultimately went nowhere, and also featured a reveal that I have fundamental philosophical objections to, and I'm all just saying now because again there are spoilers in here. If you've not read the run, you know maybe save this episode for later. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, at this point I doubt this is a newsflash to anyone that Jor-el is revealed to be. Mr. Oz and I had major issues with that. But going going back to the the context piece of this, I 100% can see how someone who read this as it was coming out, particularly someone who did not enjoy the new 52 Superman, and maybe the same person who did not enjoy the Bendis run that followed this, why that person would feel very differently about this run and why this run would be like a port in the storm in the midst of runs that they didn't enjoy. So if you're listening to this and you're in that category, like I get it. I totally get it. But I read this in a vacuum. I didn't have that baggage here. I was just reading this run in and of itself. And it did not land for me the way that I hoped it would and the way I think it did for other people.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. And, and I will happily uh, jump in with you on the JorEl reveal because I've got feelings about it too. Um, I think another factor for me in this run is that in the 90s, not only was Juergens writing, but he also drew the majority of the Superman issues that he was writing. And his art style is, is was, and will always be really a great fit for Superman. Um, it's classic, but it's modern at the same time. I loved what Juergens was doing. And that was even in a period when, you know, we didn't have the advanced computer coloring that we have now. The simplicity of the art, the clear storytelling, his figure drawing, his that it was all really, really great. The, the just the number of artists on this run, and I think it might have been coming out twice monthly, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, right? So there's no way one single artist could keep up with that schedule, but they really did they almost didn't even do one artist per arc. I mean, there were multiple artists per issue that switch for no particular reason other than we have to get this thing out on time. Um, and I found that the majority of the artists, they're good artists in their own right. I just didn't feel like most of their styles fit well with Superman in general, but these stories in particular, Um, there were a couple of standouts, but for the most part, I found a lot of the art to be very dark, very muddy, you know, heavy on the inks and, For Superman, who's supposed to be sort of this bright, hopeful character, I just didn't feel like it it jived well. So, at the point that the stories weren't keeping me as engaged as I would have liked, I was kind of hoping that the art would, and it it let me down a little bit there, too.
0: I'm with you. I will be covering the Peter Tomasi-Patrick Gleason Superman run from Rebirth next week, but I've already done my reading for that, and... I have the same issue with both runs. If I'm not mistaken, both books came out every other week. You know, became, you know so both books had the same issue where unfortunately, and we look, we understand it. For an artist to do two books a month is very un- unrealistic. But to your point, had they had artists alternating arcs, that would have gone a long way. Instead, it seemed to be very haphazard and very piecemeal as far as who was doing which issues. And like I said before, I don't know all of the behind the scenes and maybe for whatever reason, that's what they had to do. But it just seemed ill-advised and it didn't make for the cohesive reading experience that you would want. And we've seen, that's the thing. It's not like this is new, right? I mean, I feel like Marvel's been doing this for a long time where they have artists trade off on arcs and things like that. And I think that works perfectly fine. That I think that would have helped my enjoyment a good bit had we had seen something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with something you said, and then I'm going to disagree with something you said. Uh, I agree uh, about the, the the artists, the possibility existing of, of artists handling a particular arc, because at the same time that I was reading the Rebirth Superman, I was reading Tom King's Batman. And Tom King was writing arcs for particular artists, and they would do the four, five, six is- issues. And he was simultaneously writing the next arc while that artist was writing. So you constantly had one artist drawing one story and then it would switch to the next artist. And I found that far more palatable, uh, far more enjoyable experience, uh, than what we got here. The one thing I will disagree with is I remember enjoying the Tomasi Gleason Superman book far more than I enjoyed the action comics issues, um, I, I've long been a fan of Tomasi as a writer from his Batman and Robin stuff to his Green Lantern stuff. And on a lot of that, he was working with Pat Gleason, And so there was a real synergy between them. I found that Gleason was much more consistent as an artist on that book than Action Comics was able to have with any one artist. And I like Gleason's style a lot for Superman, particularly because that book focused much more heavily on John their son mm-hmm. and there's this sort of wide-eyed enthusiasm that he draws him with that, that I, I just personally respond to so when I when I got to the Superman reborn crossover in the middle of our reading and there were those couple of issues of the Tomasi Gleason run boy when I tell you it was a breath of fresh air for me to turn the page and oh there it is ah and Tomasi's also a lot lighter on on his exposition than Jurgens is, I think, because Tomasi got into writing comics a little bit later in the game than Jurgens did. I know Tomasi was an editor first and then crossed over into writing, and I think he he tends to write with a little bit more of that modern sensibility. Where you don't need to recap every single thing that happened in the previous issues before moving on to the new plot, and so it was a little breezier. It was more fun. It was lighter. So when we get to that, uh, I'll, I'll point out specifics, but I, I tended to like those issues a lot better.
0: Fair enough. And I'll talk more about this next week. But yes, I would say overall, I did enjoy the Tomasi Gleason run on Superman more, more than this, but not vastly more, which I was actually kind of surprised by. But we'll, we'll unpack that more uh, next week. You know, you mentioned how there were a lot of elements from the 90s and specifically from the comics that you and I read and we talked about yep. last year that were used here. Jurgen's first arc is another battle with Doomsday. And we later have appearances from the Eradicator and Mongol and Cyborg Superman. So there's a lot that comes back around and you might expect that I would be all over that. And it actually had the opposite effect on me a little bit. And I'll take it a step further. And I, I, this is why I wanted to have you for this episode because we just did that massive reading project. And To spin all of this into a positive, let me say this, for readers at the time who were comparing this to New 52 and and then to Bendis, right, I get why they felt a certain way, I was more comparing this to the Triangle Era that we had just covered. And it, it did pale in comparison, but I'm looking at the positive here, it just reinforced how much I really loved those early Triangle Era stories. So that's the positive that I tried to focus on here. And What I so missed, and I I suspect you feel the same way, it's the subplots and the supporting cast. You know?
1: 100%. um, I felt like one of the things that gave the original run in the 90s its charm was every three, four pages, the scene would change. And we'd check in with the Kents on the farm, or we would catch up with the Daily Planet staff, or... is moving even when just kept it going with this i found that there was like generally one central story that took over the whole thing even when we were catching up with lois and john even when batman showed up it was all still story this story isn't really doing it for you you're kind of stuck with because there's nothing else um and, it, and, and and you're right. It, it seemed to linger on certain things just a little too long.
0: Yes. We were having a little bit of an internet connectivity issue there for a moment. So let us take a quick break and we'll try to sort this out. And I'm sure we will. And we'll be right back. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thank you. My comic shop travels haven't yet taken me to Texas, but when they do, my first stop will be the Hive Comics and Tabletop Games. As they say, we exist to make your entry into nerdy realms easy. An oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, Hive carries a full selection of comics, manga, and gaming including Magic, D&D, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and Pokemon. Visit them in person or via their online shop at thehivecomics.com. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out these festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Event details and submission info can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the Fests on social media for updates on discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts has been a guest of this show, Justin DeVoe, in recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Real Life Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance on your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor. And we're back. I mentioned before about how bringing in the elements from the '90s didn't have what I suppose the intended effect was for me, at least. How about for you? I mean, were you excited that? Jurgen's kickoff arc was a rematch with Doomsday?
1: So my feeling on the the path of Doom arc was that I felt like using Doomsday out of the gate could have been a really good way to suggest that everything is all new moving forward, right? You're sort of starting at the place where, in a sense, the 90s Superman sort of ended for him. Um, and I thought that that was potentially a smart move. I don't think it ended up really doing that for a couple of reasons. I didn't find the actual doomsday battle and everything all that compelling. um, But also because everything moving forward was really, as I said, sort of a retread of a lot of the older concepts. I mean, at a certain point, I remember sort of taking stock. I went, okay, so we've got, uh, we've got, we had doomsday. We had Mongol, we had uh, Henshaw, Cyborg Superman, we had the Eradicator, Steel made an appearance, and although we didn't get the, the Connor Kent Superboy, we did get John Kent Superboy, and I wrote in my notes, I'm like, all right, the gang's all here now, I guess. you know." But it didn't feel the way that it felt then. And again, part of that is probably just me being older and, and maybe a little bit more jaded and i've seen so much but i wanted i wanted to lean into the nostalgia of it right because nostalgia is a really really powerful thing and i just found that i couldn't i was trying really hard to and i just couldn't couldn't get there so you know that ended up being a little disappointing
0: that's the thing this was another instance of where i wanted to like it so much more than i did doomsday is tough and i've talked about this before the law of diminishing returns is at play in a major way when it comes to doomsday. His first story kills Superman. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to do anything new or different with doomsday. Certainly in in a way that's going to be as compelling as his debut, you know, shortly after the death of Superman, Juergens gave him an origin story in Superman, doomsday hunter prey. Now you could argue whether or not he needed an origin. And I think, There are arguments to be made on both sides. I I think there is something pretty cool about never knowing where he comes from. But at the same time, look, he's going to get an origin at some point and the guy who created him was the best person to do it. So I'm fine with that. But otherwise, it's tough. And not just with Doomsday, but with a lot of these characters. If you're going to use them again and use those elements and play on that nostalgia, is there something new to say with them? And in a couple of instances here, there are, and we'll talk about that. With Doomsday, what I did enjoy and props to Jurgens for this, was we had one new angle to play, which was that now Clark is trying to protect his son. It's not just the city and the world, but it's it's more personal now, and there's something to be said for that. And I also really did appreciate that Clark had learned from his battle the first time. So he knows not to get in too close. He knows to get him outside of a populated area. So that was cool. I, like, I appreciated that aspect of it. But those... And I, not to... Not to be overly negative, but you know those were a couple of moments in a six issue arc. But I did appreciate those a lot.
1: No, I, I agree with you. And and the other thing that I that I started to appreciate was the Clark's thought process during the battle, where he knows that he had previously battled this creature and it had killed him, and there's the weight of that that he carries. Uh, into this battle and and he knows that lois is watching and she knows because she was the one who had to mourn him when he was gone and he really doesn't want to do that to her again right it's less about him but he really doesn't want her to have to go through that again because it was really traumatic um and i really liked that angle of it but what tainted it a little bit was that it just went on too long six issues was just entirely too many for this, I mean, the original death of Superman is four issues, right? And it builds toward that final that final battle. And this, I just felt like kept retreading. even the things we liked, it just kept retreading them and retreading them and retreading them. And at a certain point, I just went, okay, just can we just wrap it up now?:
0: You mentioned modern storytelling earlier, and I think path of doom and men of steel. Those two arcs in particular represent the the worst of <laughs> modern storytelling in that I felt both of those stories were decompressed slash padded. They went on for more issues than they needed to. They didn't have that much to say yet. So they were padded because they would eventually be collected in a trade paperback, but right. they were still initially consumed monthly. And for whatever reason, DC doesn't want to do a recap page, I guess. So they are also, I found them to be very repetitive. So they were padded and repetitive. That to me is like the worst of (laughs) of both worlds when it comes to this. And I found those two arcs in particular were guilty of that. In Path of Doom in particular, we have the debut of this Clark Kent doppelganger. And we'll unpack that a little bit more, I guess, when we talk about the subsequent arcs. But it's issue after issue of people asking him, you know, who are you? Where'd you come from? I'm Clark. And at a certain point, there's just nothing new to say. Similarly, the Men of Steel arc, I'm jumping ahead a couple of story arcs, but that was a fascinating premise, I thought, where you have these aliens, the remnants, whose worlds have been destroyed by Darkseid, and they can see into the future, and they see that Lex Luthor, who in this era of rebirth has been a hero, is going to take over Apocalypse and and cause untold death and destruction. So they want to kill him now. So it puts Superman in a very difficult spot because on his world, Lex was evil. Here he seems to be a hero, but he can't find any proof of, of Lex's misdeeds. And then <laughs> the Remnants show up with this vision of the future. And so it really does create a believable conflict. But there, there doesn't seem to be much more to say because it's issue after issue of the remnant saying he's going to do this and Superman saying, well, he hasn't done it yet. Well, he's going to do it. Well, he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> so it's just like over and over, it was so. It was such a good jumping off point, but I don't think there was really anywhere to land.
1: Yeah, it just it didn't have the substance to to keep it going long term. I mean, that's a great premise for an issue or two, and then it really needs to build. It needs to go somewhere else, and it just it just didn't. So you end up having this this ongoing physical conflict between Superman and Luther, who's wearing. Sort of a version of his battle suit, but with the S logo on it and, and all that, and, and it looks great. Um, and, and fighting these, these Zayd and Lacal and and ultimately, it, you know, that was that was one of those arcs that I also found represented one of my bigger issues with the run overall, which is that I was far more interested in the family drama with Clark, Lois, and John especially because John was a new character and I was really enjoying getting to know him a little bit, getting to see Clark and Lois as parents for the first time. There, there is a novelty to that that I did enjoy. I was far less interested in watching Superman punch a bunch of sort of generic aliens in the face. Um, the Lex angle was also interesting. It was neat to see Clark and Lex teaming up, even though Clark still has his suspicions about Lex, because how do you shake that? I mean, he's got a whole lifetime, basically, of this guy being his arch nemesis. But but leaving the reader to wonder, is he really reformed? Is it, Or, or I guess it's not the same guy, so it's not reformed. But is this really a hero? Or is he, you know, uh, is this some sort of ruse? Because we wouldn't put that past Lex Luthor. So that is an interesting angle. But to focus so much of the time on just the, the punching I just it got tired real fast.
0: To your point, the family aspect was the most interesting for me as well. In fairness, maybe we didn't get as much of that in action because that was more the purview of Tomasi and Gleason in the Superman book. Thankfully, we yeah. do do we do still get a fair amount of Clark, Lois, and John in this. And yes, seeing Clark as a dad, and I've talked about this primarily in the context of the Superman and Lois TV show, but certainly it started here in the comics. And you know, short of the marriage. And even that was formalizing a relationship that had been going on for a while, and that certainly had been danced around and teased for decades prior. But giving them a child really moves the the mythology forward in a in a substantial way, and also an organic way. So I love that. And as I say all the time, as a dad myself, it's like I I love that. I love that aspect of it too. And and yes, there were a lot of moments, especially in that Men of Steel arc, where it's like, all right, I'm not that invested in this battle on the the remnants world that they take. You know Clark and likes to. On that note, let's talk about the decision and whether this was editorial or Jurgens, I don't know, but this decision to integrate the post-crisis slash pre fifty two Superman, however you want to call him, into the new fifty two world because that's essentially what happens, right? When the new fifty two era ends and we enter rebirth. Rebirth is more of a of a feeling that era it's not necessarily that continuity has been rewritten and in fact the new 52 superman dies at the end of of the new 52 run and our superman and lois who have been on this earth in hiding all this time and we see that chronicled in the lois and clark miniseries which i quite liked i want to talk to you about that yes but the beginning part of rebirth is quote unquote our superman and lois Starting to integrate themselves into this what's left of the New Fifty Two world, and like I said, it ends up feeling to me pretty pointless when we get to the reborn arc and everything is merged anyway. But I don't know. I mean, what is your take on that initial decision? Because they do get some good mileage out of it. I feel like the the best mileage they get out of it is Clark having these memories and experiences of villains on his world, and. In the case of Henshaw, for example, in the Lois and Clark miniseries and then later with Lex, you know, not not seeing those things unfolding in the same way. And it's putting him in a tough spot because he can't put them away for something they haven't done. But he also knows these worlds aren't that different. So I thought that was interesting. What was your take on that whole piece of it?
1: Boy, I feel like I keep going back to the same well, but, you know, it's the same thing. It's, It's a neat idea on its face. Um, and, and a lot of potential for story, but that potential ends up being kind of squandered because it just goes on too long. Like there is, I think a a sweet spot of time that it would have worked really well for. And for, so for me, I know in my notes, I, I sort of remarked that, that the Superman reborn crossover to me felt much more like where the story should have started. Yes. Right, I, I think I think you could go probably from the Lois and Clark Road to Rebirth miniseries right to Superman Reborn, and that's a really I think it's a, it's a, a concise trajectory that gets us to where we need to be to start enjoying this version of Superman. Whether that's a throwback for people or whether that's something new for people, depending on where you are in your comics experience, to to, to have to go from the Road to Rebirth through. Path of Doom, Welcome to the Planet, Men of Steel, and then get to Superman Reborn. That's where I just felt like, can we please, please just get me there,
0: please? <laughs> uh, yes, and I'll be I'll be nice, and I'll say one more thing in in fairness to the run, and especially to people who who like it. If I had been reading this as it were coming out. I am sure I would have been more invested in the mystery of the Clark Kent doppelganger. I came into this run. I had actually read Reborn when I covered the post-crisis Superman origins on the podcast last year. We didn't really spend much time on it because we had so, so much else to cover, but I had read it. And so I knew, I knew Mixis Pitilic was this other Clark and I knew where that was going. So, and similarly, I knew Jor-El was Mr. Ah. So again, I came into this run reading it in a vacuum and knowing a lot, like, the two big reveals of it and so i for anyone who you know is like how could you not like this i I think that that explains a lot of it and if you're wondering why i I keep trying to qualify all of this it's i said this to you off off mic you know i take no delight coming onto the show and talking about something i didn't like i really thought i was going to like this more so i feel very conflicted doing this but i want to give my honest opinion uh while still acknowledging why i totally get why people do like this uh with this this whole business of the pre-52 Superman and Lois on, on this earth, it's it's just, I don't know, it feels like such a curious choice to do it the way they did, where they spent so much time setting up only to merge. Like, if they had spent all that time integrating them and it stayed that way, okay. Or if they had merged them right off the bat, like you said. But it just felt like a very weird place where they landed, and I just wonder. And hindsight's twenty twenty, and all that. But I, I almost wonder, in that DC Universe Rebirth special that Jeff Johns wrote, you know, when Wally West emerges from the lightning, there could that not have just sort uh, of, you know, tidied this up for us really quickly so we could just jump in? It's like I feel like they could have avoided a lot of this.
1: They did, and and I'm not going to belabor the point. I will say that I agree. Um, I will also say to defend you. Uh, and myself to some extent, um, while I also take no pleasure in in offering some criticism of the of the run. Your mission with this podcast is to look at the it, almost the entire breadth and scope of Superman's at this point what eighty five year history. There's gonna be some stuff that just doesn't hit. I mean, to to think otherwise you know, it would be unfair. So you've been overly positive about so much of it, fairly so, but you've been so positive about stuff that maybe other people don't dig on that. If every now and again, you get a run where you go, okay, not my favorite. I I don't think that that's such a terrible thing.
0: That's true. No, you're right. Well, you're right. All right. I'll be harsher now. I've been, been too soft. so far. Uh, And you know, the other reason though, why if I am spending a lot of time talking about this, this decision to have the, pre 52 versions, you know, an entire trade volume two of the Jurgens run is dedicated to this business of, of them now integrating into this, this world. Uh, so we have a two parter where our Superman basically interrogates the doppelganger Clark to try to get it because he has most of Clark's memories minus the Superman aspects and as far as everyone can tell including batman who administers a lie detector test he's telling the truth or he believes he's telling the truth so no one can make heads or tails of this guy and that won't be resolved until reborn and then the 52 lois lane has has died and so now we have this whole bit there's a two parter with lois where she essentially takes over her counterpart's life at at her request right which she had found this message mm-hmm. from the 52 lois and, you know, she takes over her apartment and she goes to the Daily Planet and she hopes that no one will, will suss her out. And like I said, if they had committed to that, fair enough. But since it ends up being kind of pointless, I, I especially in retrospect, looking at those stories, it's like, I don't think I would ever read those again. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I didn't have a whole lot to say about the Welcome to the Planet arc. The only thing that, that I'll point out is there is one issue right at the front of it that's drawn by Tom Grummet who did so much of the, the run in the nineties on adventures of Superman. And, uh, was that a delight to see his art again? Uh, it brought me, that brought me right back. And that yeah. was a Lex centric story and it brought me right back. And I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. And then we sort of returned to, you know, some of the other artists who I wasn't such a fan of. And, uh, you know, so we got that little shine, shining light in there, but I'll take it.
0: Yes. I enjoyed that as well. And, like we were saying, I think this the heroic turn for Lex is one of the most interesting aspects here and you know, you're reading these stories and you you know you expect that it's going to turn out to be a ruse or that something will turn and Lex will revert to to who we think he's always been. And at least to the end of this run, you know, you don't have that. And I I, I quite like that. I you know, I really like again when you can find a new angle to play and and this was definitely a good example of that. So I'm still I'm still sort of on the fence about Lex in the war suit, whether it's the evil green war suit or the good blue war (laughs) suit. Either way, part of me is like, ah, do we really need him out in the field like that? But, uh, but, but I like that. And like I said, that was one instance where I thought they did get good mileage out of our Clark being from a different world and, and really having a hard time, deciding whether or not to trust lex on that note um and i don't know if you had a chance to reread the lois and clark miniseries but if you did uh i was just curious what your thoughts were on that because i actually found that to be among my favorite of this Jurgens era
1: i did too uh it introduced at least for me john uh who i i tend to really like i mean one of my one of my favorite things to come out of this era was the adventures of the super Sons a uh, book that Tomasi also wrote and, and that featured John and, and Damian Wayne as Robin. Um, so I really like, uh, I really like him and it was more family drama than it was action. So, because that is what I tend to favor. I I enjoyed that. Um, I also loved that the vast majority of it was drawn by Lee Weeks, who is a master storyteller. He's one of my most favorite artists in the business. Um, Every time there was a couple of pages of fill-ins, I found my eyes starting to roll a bit because I just wanted more Lee Weeks. Um, and, it, and it's not even like like any of those artists were were bad. I just when you're when you're reading Lee Weeks and you turn the page and it's somebody else, very few people are going to not disappoint me at that point. So I, I like that. I like it as an opening. I just wish it had gone directly to Superman Reborn.
0: Yes. Yeah, it was a great opening. And especially in the context of that, we, you know, Jurgens was still really working within the confines of the new 52 world. So this, well, obviously we had had convergence, right? That two-parter where, you know, we knew our Superman and Lois uh, had, had survived and they were still out there in the multiverse. And then we, again, get this eight issue miniseries. Uh, but yeah, I liked it. Like you said, it really focused on the family. And at this point, John doesn't know that his father is Superman and they're living as the whites out in California and, you know, just this this struggle where Superman wants to intervene, but it's not his world. And he also has his family to protect. So that creates, again, a new source of tension, which is always which is always welcome. And so to see him in the black suit, the beard and the black yeah. suit. I love that look.
1: I know you do. I, I, I you and I are not going to agree on the black suit. <laughs> I, I unless unless he is in mourning. Um, cause I know like after, uh, our worlds at war in the early two thousands, he wasn't wearing a black suit, but the, the S on the chest, instead of the yellow background, it was black,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: to show his mourning for the, those who were lost in that battle. Uh, I like it at, to represent how he's feeling at the time. I don't love it as a look. I know you love it in, in justice league and in, in Snyder's justice league. I, I so don't like that at all. I think you can do it for a little while. And I was able to I was able to be on board with it for that arc. And then I really needed it to change. However, <laughs> my caveat to that is they went to a version of the Superman suit for him that I also really don't like. And and, and it is it's much closer to the classic look. I didn't like it when they redesigned it for the new fifty two and they took the trunks away. Um, And it wasn't even so much the trunks specifically, but to me, there's a color balance on classic Superman. And that balance is the majority of the suit is blue and it's the red trunks with that yellow belt that breaks up the blue until you get to his red boots. And this version of the suit not only doesn't have the trunks, it has no yellow in the midsection at all and his boots are blue. So it's just all blue and that's one of the things that contributed to everything sort of looking so dark and muddy. And to me there needs to be that 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 yellow to brighten up the color palette a little bit. I just it's it's the visual my visual programming from having seen Superman as an icon since I can't remember a time where I didn't have that visual in my head. And I just I need it. That's just me.
0: No, I hear you, especially about wanting to break up the blue. I'm sort of indifferent on the rebirth costume. I don't feel that strongly one way or the other, but I, I I mean, I do agree about having something break it up. I don't, and I've said this before, I don't necessarily need it to be the trunks, but a more prominent, larger red belt goes a long way. But yes, I do love the, I do love the black costume. Just think about, and I suspect we'll get it at some point on Superman and Lois. I would be shocked. I mean, these guys clearly have a lot of affection for the nineties. So I feel like at some point yeah. they'll finally let Tyler Hecklin's beard loose. It can't that thing can't be contained to begin with. So they'll they'll just let that go. They'll put him in the black. He's already
1: got the, the permanent five o'clock shadows. So yes. Might as well.
0: Which i I'm, I know people some people are kind of I like that.
1: I do too. I'm with you. I heard you mention that on the on the episode about Superman and Lois and I, I agreed completely.
0: As always, it's about seeing myself in the character. Because a few years ago, I stopped shaving with the blade. I just stopped. And so I only use an electric razor. So there's always some stubble. And I, you know, so for myself, I like that. So, uh, but I think that, and I know we've seen the the Elseworlds version of Tyler Hecklin, and then the the alternate universe version where he's in the black costume with the cape. But I think if we get something closer to to this Lois and Clark miniseries, I think that would work well for a few episodes. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, I really enjoyed the miniseries and it lends some credence to my theory here that a lot of what I don't like about this run, not all of it, but a lot of it points more to editorial dictates rather than to what Juergens would do on his own because my three favorite Juergens stories from this era are the Lois and Clark miniseries, the Revenge arc, and the Booster Gold arc. And I feel like those were the three stories where Juergens was able to just tell a story. Everything else to me, to me at least, Felt like it was serving something else. It was tidying up the New 52 business or it was pointing to, to Doomsday Clock with the Oz effect. But I felt like those stories were more just Jurgens telling a story. And those were the ones I enjoyed the most. So I don't know what the right
1: balance is when you're introducing something new to an established franchise, especially when you're a writer who had previously been on that franchise. I can't imagine this is an easy job and, and you know, for all the, the criticism that we have, you know, you got to give the guy credit for, for coming back and, and trying something new, even if it did bring back a lot of the old, the old concepts. Like John Kent, great addition for me, like lo- really logical movement forward for the characters, as you said, very organic. Um, but who's to say that it couldn't have flopped? You know, it could have been one of those elements that you, you go for and people hate. Fortunately, they didn't. Um, I agree with you that Lex as a hero is one of those concepts that also really could have fallen on its face, but it didn't. I'm also going to defend the war suit here because I feel like uh, for Lex to play the hero, you know, he has no superpowers. So without it, without the, the suit, he couldn't do anything that he does for him to be out in the field, I think, is, is more of a reason. I mean, he's really putting himself out there and risking his life if if that doesn't suggest real, true heroism. I mean, you know, Lex would never put himself into harm's way like that unless he were doing it, in this case, for, for, for those heroic reasons. Like, villainous Lex would never do that. He'd send somebody in his place. He'd send a proxy. So I like that because it it communicates without having to put it in writing. It communicates to Clark that, I mean, if this guy's willing to fight side by side with me and take a beating, and he takes a couple of good beatings in this, um, then there's gotta be some legitimacy to his heroism. There has to, be. right? So that that element could have fallen on its face, and I think it succeeds in a lot of ways. And then you contrast that with you know the Jor El reveal, which again could have been really cool and maybe for a lot of people was but for me that one fell really i I can't even say flat because it wasn't flat i mean it it really rubbed me the wrong way and i know we're going to talk about that later but i'm trying to figure out like what is the balance of an element that you can add to move the story forward to push a boundary to take a shot and have it succeed versus have it not
0: that's a yeah that's a great question I wish I had an answer or an easy test to apply, because I'm with you. The Jorel reveal just feels so wrong. It just feels wrong, and we'll we'll get to that very shortly because I, yeah. I think that's definitely a, a major piece of this run, and we have to talk about it. I think you've turned me around on the War Suit, though. I love that defense of it. I was like I said, I was kind of on the fence, but I, I'll go with that. I like that. That does that does track, and you're right. It is it shows rather than tells. Right. That he's willing to do that as opposed to if he were in his office sending someone, someone in his place. So I'm with you. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Uh, But like I said, I really I did enjoy the Lois and Clark miniseries, them living in in secret. You know, they visit Metropolis at one point and they see Jimmy Olsen and they have to duck. Mm -hmm. Superman creates this really stripped down fortress (laughs) where he can store artifacts and prisoners but he doesn't have all of the tech that he's used to having there, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of cool stuff there. And like I said, I didn't read this at the time, but I do remember when it came out and I remember people were excited and I was happy that quote unquote, my Superman was back. Uh, Like I said, the new 52 conversation will be other podcast episodes in, in the future, but I've said this before and I'll just mention it again here quickly. I really think that for myself at least, I would have been a lot more receptive to the new 52 had the post-crisis Superman gotten an equivalent of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Mm. There was no send-off for that version of the character or or the others in the DC universe, and that would have gone a long way. So I, I did very much appreciate that that version was coming back, even if I wasn't reading it at the time. And like I said at the top, when I when I tried my experiment of reading monthly comics again, I put the Tomasi book on the list, but not Juergens. And it's kind of hard to say why. I mean, I think that I was thinking more of the end of the Juergens tenure on the Superman books, like towards the end of the triangle era, because as much as you and I had a blast with the late 80s, early 90s, and coming up on the podcast later in the year, we'll be looking at the mid-90s, by the end, the Electric Superman saga, the Millennium Giants, all that business, (laughs) I don't think it ended on the best note. And I think that definitely sort of soured my opinion of that period of time generally. Even though I had the nostalgia from reading it as a kid, I think I always felt like, "Eh, I don't know how, how good those comics were. And I guess I was thinking of Jurgens more from that point in time. So when they announced he was doing this, it just didn't, it didn't necessarily grab me. I think I would feel if this were all happening again now and I had the reading project that you and I had just, done, I think I would feel differently because I would be thinking more of that. But so I think that's why I wasn't necessarily, uh, why I didn't add it to my list at the time.
1: That makes sense. and And I probably, I mean, I was reading everything you know, in the rebirth era, I was, I was hoping to recapture some of my love for DC. Cause in, you know, as the new 52 wore on there, there was, there was less and less to really be excited about. So I was hoping. And, and so I was trying everything. Um, I was really hoping with Jergens back on action comics to recapture some of the, the love for the nineties stuff. And, and I, I wish I had better memories of having read it as it was coming out. And, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really sad to say that I, c- I can't add that to the discussion.
0: It's fine. But I think I feel like your impression was at least a positive one, because when we had that text exchange and I said, I'm, I'm going to cover this. Would you want to do it? You said, yeah, I love that. I love those comics. So even if you didn't did not remember this, you did. I could pull it up. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing. Even if you did not remember the specifics, I, I think it definitely at least left a positive impression. So let's uh, let's move forward into the Reborn arc. Mm. What were your thoughts on the reveal that this doppelganger Clark Kent? Now, in in fairness, this the doppelganger Clark did solve a major issue for Superman because the fifty two Superman's identity had been exposed, right? Everyone knew right. that Clark was Superman. So, on top of everything else, we also have this business of how are we going to re- reconcile this. So, another Clark Kent definitely you know went a long way towards that. But we find out in the reborn arc that it's act- actually Mixius Pitilic. What was your take on that reveal?
1: <sighs> <laughs> I, it was fine, <laughs> you know. We no listen in in previous discussions. In at least I would say at least two of our previous discussions, we've talked about how Mixus Piddleck stories are really hit and miss for us. You and I both don't love a more sort of magical or supernatural bent Superman stories, and Mixus Piddleck sort of fits right into that. So. There have been stories with Mixius Pitalic that I have liked. The vast majority of them I don't love. I think he's a better concept than he is a character in execution. Um, and if he's used sparingly, he can be quite effective, depending on the story you're telling. I, I don't know that we needed him here... Um, it was, it was, it was fine. It was fine. It was fine.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be a little, I think I'm a little bit more, a little more positive on it. I didn't think the reveal was all that great. Like I said, for this run, I wasn't shocked, but when I read reborn for the first time, I, I didn't, I doubt I did not go in armed with any knowledge. So I, there was a point in time where I read this and I was surprised. I don't think it's the best reveal, but I do really, really like Mixie's motivation. The fact that he showed up and he got taken by Mister Oz, and he's so cocky at the beginning. He's like, "Well, <laughs> Superman is going to notice when I don't show up every three months. We do battle. He'll come find me," and he doesn't. And that's what sets Mixie's piddleck off. And that I really, I thought that was an, a fresh take on on the character. And there's a Paul Dini story that's that's in there. I it breaks my heart, but it's like my two favorite parts of Reborn were the first Tomasi Gleason issue where right. this, you know, reality, this new reality for Lois and Clark is disappearing and, you know, Clark is holding John as John fades away, a la Peter Parker uh. in Infinity War. And it it guts you, it breaks your heart. And that was not a Jurgens issue. And then the Paul Dini-Mixie issue was yep. a lot of fun, too. <laughs> So those are my two favorite parts of of Reborn. But so I thought it was a a good a good motivation for Mixie, but the reveal itself was just sort of like, okay. And then as far as the purpose of the story, which was to streamline the the pre-52 and 52 versions of Lois and Clark into a single unified person and timeline. There was a there was a point in time where I really cared about continuity, and how things lined up, and how an event was going to rework continuity. I cared, I wasn't born when Crisis came out, but I cared when Zero Hour hit, I really cared when Infinite Crisis hit, and by the time I get to something like this, I don't care. I don't care. All of the, because I guess, and maybe fans who are older have gotten to this point already, but after a while and pardon my language, but it's all bullshit. It's like, you know, that's the conclusion I've come to. And so it's like, I don't really, this story doesn't really do much for me.
1: Well, it's like the tagline to another one of your podcasts. They're all imaginary stories. Yes. Right. So at the point that they are, you know, whether it lines up exactly with this vast history or not, it really starts mattering less and less. And I think that's a product also of of our age and our long history in reading these things where you realize how little it matters because yeah. uh, serialized superhero storytelling creates the illusion of change, but nothing really ever changes. So the most we can hope for is to try something new for a little while to give us something maybe we haven't seen or to, to give us a new angle on something we have. And then, you know, it's just going to come back around and, and be the thing that it was, you know, back in the day. Right. so, so, at that point, what I want from the crossover here is I, I I want it to just be a good story, and I found this one to be more enjoyable than a lot of the other parts of the arc. I really liked the the Tomasi Gleason issues um because they tended to focus more on the family the 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 emotional conflict was far more compelling than the physical one. The emotional conflict of the family not remembering each other. They don't remember who they are. They don't remember that they are family it was heartbreaking to watch John disappear in Clark's arms. is heartbreaking and beautifully drawn by Gleason. I would add, yeah. I agree with you. I thought the Paul Dini story drawn by Ian Churchill, where Mixus Pitalik explains to John, the, the whole saga of how this all came to be. It looked fun. It read in a fun way. It was just, it was fun. And it had an emotional core to the story that a lot of the other arcs in this run just didn't have because they, I mean, it is action comics, I get it. But they tended to focus more on the the physical conflict. So yeah, this was definitely a high point. Um, the Gleason art, the Doug Monkey art, which I really enjoy as well, especially there's that one issue leading up to the mixius Pitilic reveal where he does these like splash page battle scenes of most of superman's major rogues where you've got luther like like villain luther in the in the green and purple battle suit bizarro brainiac uh, mongol parasite cyborg superman doomsday and then mixius Pitilic who is the mastermind behind it all and i thought that really worked well and actually harkened back to the Death of Superman issue where all of the pages were splash pages to emphasize the enormity of, of the battle. So I really did enjoy that. The other minor detail that I did enjoy, and I'm going to call it out here, um, was towards the beginning of the arc when the Clark Kent doppelganger, before it's revealed that it's Mictuse Fiddley, asks Lois out on a date. I didn't go back to check, but I think it was the same dialogue. That Jurgens used when Clark asked Lois out back in the nineties, he gave her the bouquet of flowers and asked her. I got real massive flashbacks to that. I have to do the actual check, but I think it might have been the exact dialogue, oh, which would be very cool.
0: Interesting. Oh, I didn't clock that, and so I certainly didn't check it. But yeah, we'll have to we'll have to look that up. Uh, very very interesting. Well, it sounds like you got more mileage out of the reborn story than I did. So I'm, I'm glad. I don't yeah, that I, again that all tracks. And like I said, there were definitely moments that I really did enjoy. Overall, I guess I just was not invested in the continuity of it all, and it was harder for me to latch on to the story, but I I don't disagree about the you know, the emotional core there and the focus on the family for sure. We still have to get to Oz, but going chronologically, since that seems to be serving us well here, the revenge arc was I, really, one of the high points for me, for the most part, curious, this is a side note, but I'm very curious why they didn't include, there's a two-parter called The New World right? that's at the start of that, uh, Volume 4, I believe it is. Yeah. I don't know why on earth that wasn't included with the Reborn story, because it's all about Superman feeling like his memories are amiss, and he goes to the fortress, and he watches his life unfold through the crystals. It just yeah this is a minor note but it just felt like that would have been a lot more fitting in the reborn it would have made for a more complete story like now he get we get we and Clark get to see his new history unfold but I
1: have a lot of questions about <laughs> <laughs> about a, never a good stop sign when I start with that I have a lot of questions about how like what the, what are the decisions when not only are you writing stories that you know will be collected and trade but then when the original issues are then repackaged for trade, I have a lot of questions about how that happens. Because like you said, you know, there is a lot of repetition when you read it in trade, because again, there are no recap pages. And so some writers, Jurgens being one of them, feels compelled to catch you up at the beginning of every issue. And that problem could easily be solved with the recap page. Um, for the single issues, but then they're easily removed for the trade, right? You could have one recap page that recaps the previous trade and then moves forward into the story. So you don't have to experience the the exposition, whether it's done in in narrative captions, which is a little bit more palatable to me. Uh, when it's done through dialogue, it is so clunky <laughs> yeah, because nobody would ever talk about What just happened to them? Because it just (laughs) happened to them. So I I have questions about, and I understand like financially and I guess, I guess time-wise it's just more convenient to take the issues as they were presented and just bind them together as a trade. But to me, it would seem like they're two different reading experiences. If you're reading 20 pages this month, and then twenty page- the next twenty pages next month you're getting a different experience than if you're reading the six issues all in one shot and so I feel like they should be a little bit different uh, and and I felt that here as I, I suspect you did um, I don't have as positive a feeling about the New World arc as you did I will say this was when they they did update the costume a little bit yeah it was with this arc and and they gave him. Red boots, which I like, and a little yellow on the belt, which I also like. So I'm going to give them props for that. Um, the Superman Revenge Squad, to me, was really where it cemented my my opinion that this was like like Jergen's greatest hits, but just a little off, <laughs> like it was a cover band doing Jergen's greatest hits. And maybe I suspect, if I'm tying it together with one of our other points, maybe that's because. It wasn't done in three to four page scenes and then switch maybe because it was all one story that it just felt like like that. Um, I did like the introduction of a new artist to this run, Victor Bogdanovic.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, I was getting like Greg Capullo vibes out of him um, and I like Greg Capullo a lot. So I did like the art a little bit more as it was it was a little bombastic, which I felt fit the tone. It was a little brighter, not a lot of those dark inks. My, my, my deepest regret about this art was this was the point in my reading where I deeply started missing the presence of Ma and Pa Kent. Yeah. And I know, and I know you like me are a fan of when the Kents are alive and I didn't I didn't feel it right away. And maybe that's because there was already a family vibe with Clark and Lois and John. But at this point, I just, I really started, I get, I got like wistful and I was like, Oh, really? Why aren't the Kents here? This would, this would be a time for Clark to, to ask Pa about what it is to be a father. Parenting this child. He needed that, I think. And, and he didn't get that. And we didn't get that. And, and, I regret
0: it. Yeah. So uh, the the Ma and Pa Kent of it all I, I don't have an answer for that, other than I too wish that they had returned at this point. They do eventually return at the end of Doomsday Clock. But and you wonder why, you know, why not here? Was it not the plan for them to return later, or was the plan for them only to return later and they didn't want to jump the gun? The only other thing I could think of is that when they when they merge the two versions of of Superman's history absent the Kent's being dead like there's not much else that's distinctly the 52 Superman right okay. so maybe that was the sacrifice i don't know but i agree that would have been really cool to see this is kind of a little nitpicky but i don't love that the the fortress crystals have the ability to like place you within your memories so like you it's too much i feel like it's too much <laughs> I was fine. I love, you know, I loved, I loved in the Smallville series finale when Clark's in the Fortress and it's as if he's watching it on a screen or something like that. That I liked, but this felt a little bit too much. The Crystals can't, can't do everything. But anyway, <laughs> the Revenge arc, first of all, what a stacked lineup on this Revenge yeah. Squad. I was thinking back to in the 90s, in 1997, there was an arc where they used the Revenge Squad and it was like Maxima and Riot? Do you remember Riot, the character who could replicate himself? Vaguely, it was. These were not heavy hitters. Here, <laughs> Metallo, Mongol, or Cyborg Superman, Eradicator, Zod. It's it's it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting lineup. It it, it definitely justified pulling in the Superman uh, Rescue Squad when his his allies yep. show up, and that was a cool moment. The. The pairing and the alliance between Eradicator and Zod made total sense. I really like that aspect of it.
1: I'll agree with that. Um, I, I, yeah, there were there were there is something cool ultimately about seeing those characters lined up together as a squad, um, it, and and the drama and the tension of, I mean, Superman has struggled to defeat one of these. What is he going to do against all of them? And for half the battle, he's blind. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, I forgot so that adds another element of the tension. And I will say, I did get, I did get the 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 real nice feelings right when the whole Superman uh, rescue squad comes in. Um, I have less of uh, of a connection to Keenan Kong, uh, the the Superman from China, and I and I I don't have much of an attachment to that version of Lana Lang as as Superwoman.
0: Did you read um, that
1: it, Superwoman series at all? I didn't. No,
0: me I neither. Didn't.
1: Um, it 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 never really appealed to me. Um, I know you're a huge fan of Steel, so it's nice to see Steel. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't know. How, other than sort of seeing the cool lineups, I don't know that I got a, a ton of mileage out of the out of the story.
0: I feel like. Uh... I feel like I enjoyed it more because, like I said, I felt like this was one of the first instances where Jerkins was just telling a straight story and not serving something else. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I what got me in the feels was when I guess it's before the rescue squad shows up and Clark is fighting them off outside the fortress and Lois and John are inside. And, you know, he's not expecting to walk away He's just trying to buy them as much time as he can. And he's okay with that. That got me. I thought that was a powerful moment. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just to see that lineup and and how that that lineup ultimately falls to infighting. You know, if they had only worked right. together, <laughs> they, they would have been okay. But you know, Zod has his own agenda to get his his family from the Phantom Zone, and we have this tension, of course, between Cyborg, Cyborg Superman is the is the organizer here uh, between him and Mongol and. Going back to playing the hits, we even have a recreation of the, the moment of Mongol kneeling, right, right before Cyborg Superman. On the note of the Eradicator, I'll talk about this next week. But Tomasi and Gleason did a lot with him in their first arc, and actually introduced this version of the Eradicator, different than the the post crisis iteration. Where here. It's actually more in line with the Superman and Lois TV show. I suspect they took some inspiration from this, where he's absorbing the the souls of of the Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to see. Uh, and, and like I said, the ideological parallels between uh, Eradicator and Zod, as far as you know, trying to preserve the Kryptonian race. That you know that that tracked. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that I necessarily have too much more to say about the arc, but I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. And th- this is jumping ahead because I know that this doesn't happen in this arc, but at the end of this story, Cyborg is stuck in the Phantom Zone. And in a follow-up issue, Superman makes a very interesting choice. Right, He stops this asteroid that's coming towards Earth and there's a mineral inside and he uses it to create this like impenetrable room in the fortress. And he retrieves Cyborg from the Phantom Zone and places him there with those magic crystals I was just complaining about. <laughs> and allows Hank Henshaw to live in his happiest memories to hopefully try to regain some of his humanity. This was very interesting to me and I mostly land on the side of what a beautiful moment and I applaud Clark for his mercy and his inventiveness. I also have somewhat of an opposing view as well but I wanted to get your take. What did you think about that?
1: It's, it's an elegant solution, and it's, and it's perfectly Superman, too, right? Because it solves the problem of not having cyborg Superman out there causing trouble. And when he causes trouble, he causes big trouble. I mean, this is a heavy hitter of a villain, right? So you have to keep this guy off the, off the playing field. To doom him to an eternal existence in the Phantom Zone, I think even even Clark recognizes that while it's not a death sentence it it might as well be and and maybe it's even worse, right So this solution gets him off the playing field so he can't hurt anybody else uh, but isn't torturous. In fact, it's the opposite. it's bliss um and and if the if the result of it can be that you get Hank Henshaw, the human, the man back then that's a bonus and if not then he at least remains you know in that blissful world so i see this as speaking volumes about who superman is and 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 why we love him because he will try to find that way to solve the problem if he can
0: yes yeah like i said overall that's that's where i land on this i guess i like i really like the idea i like that he would even be thinking about a more humane way to imprison someone. <laughs> Part of me wonders, though, is Hank Henshaw the worthiest candidate for this? Because I see, I actually feel like I feel like Phantom Zone is almost generous given what he's done. <laughs> and we know with with Hank Henshaw, we we can't if we destroy the physical form, the consciousness will survive, and he'll find a new form and he'll come back. So you can't just destroy him, quote unquote. Phantom Zone kind of solves that problem. And given the millions that he killed, I, I you know, I don't know. I think that's okay. <laughs> so part of me was like, I don't know. Did you talk to Hal Jordan about this? He might feel differently. <laughs> Maybe, <yeah. laughs> but no, overall it was not And it was one of those things where he was being proactive. I, I like I really like that. I like that he took it upon himself to once the opportunity presented itself with that asteroid mineral, he's like, okay, I can do something with this. So I And that was something that was new and different. I I really, really, uh, I I did, uh, I did like that a lot. All right, I think we're at Oz. I think we are. So we've had this, this, well, a bit of a subplot, right? Where there's been this mysterious figure, and he popped up in the New Fifty Two as well, and he's been imprisoning uh, various heroes and villains. Tim Drake was there, Mixis Pidilic was there, so Mister Oz has been popping up. And I think we, as the readers, had a sense that we knew this was connected to rebirth and the doom and Doomsday Clock. I think so, right? But this is the arc where Oz and Superman finally face off, and Oz reveals himself to be Jor El, plucked from Krypton milliseconds before it exploded, and sent to Earth where he. Was subjected to and viewed the worst of humanity, and his takeaway from that was that humans are not are not deserving of being saved, and he sent kalel to the wrong place. And over the course of this arc, he's going to show Kalel all of these instances of any time you give someone the choice to do the right thing or the wrong thi- wrong thing, they'll choose the wrong, the evil, and they're not deserving of of you. Before we talk about this in particular, you know, we were talking about this off mic. You and I have not reread Doomsday Clock in in quite some time, but unless I'm totally mistaken, this does not pay off in, in Doomsday Clock, because w- what we ultimately find, or at least are led to believe, is that it's Dr. Manhattan who had plucked Jor-El, and Dr. Manhattan, of course, figures prominently in Doomsday Clock, but uh, as far as I can remember... Mr Oz does not come back into play in Doomsday Clock at all. So this felt like a lot of setup for nothing.
1: It did. So there were two reasons why I was primarily <sighs> disappointed as even a little charitable. Um, <laughs> why, why 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 it really it really sort of irked me uh the, the Jor-El reveal. One is it's not even the reveal itself, it's the implications of Jor-El having survived Krypton's destruction. I mean it, you take that and and really think about what that means for Superman's entire existence. It, it's 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 something that is so core to who Superman is. The idea that in a in a desperate last ditch effort to save their son jor-el and lara place him in this vessel and send him away um to uh who knows where it it is it is pure luck and speculation that he'll even survive much less you know land in a place that would allow him to live and thrive and i know that was one of your gripes on 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 smallville that it was it's a sort of intentional thing because i was just listening to it um but i i agree with you that that the chance of it all it's it's almost shakespearean the the, the, or, the superman origin is so elegant in its construction not only the moses parallels but just just being the last survivor of of your world you know growing up you know it's, it's that ultimate adoption story where you cannot there is no chance for you to get to know your birth parents not like they're even out there somewhere where you can find them and meet them they don't exist anymore the best you can hope for is a magic crystal to capture their essence or something like that which is not the same thing and so you add that element back into the story and wow does that change things and and that's why it felt to me different than introducing john kent um or lex as a good guy it, it, to me it just it felt so wrong. And the other reason why it really rubbed me the wrong way is as I'm doing this reread, I am teaching a unit on Watchmen in my 11th grade English classes. And the promise of Mr. Oz, right, we already knew with Rebirth because the Rebirth special reintroduced the Watchmen properties as being integrated with the DC Universe proper, right? The idea that and I actually, I know it has its detractors, but I really like the idea that at the end of Watchmen, when Dr. Manhattan says he's going to go and create life, that the life he creates is the DC universe. Uh, but he, But he got it wrong. Like, he kind of messed it up in some key areas, and that explains why the New 52 didn't quite feel right and why Rebirth was necessary. I actually kind of like that sort of meta explanation for, you know, starting over with Rebirth. But you create a, a mysterious character called Mr. Oz, when we already know that the Watchmen properties are being reintegrated, not re re-in, are being integrated, and the promise, the unspoken promise is, it's Ozymandias, it's Adrian Veidt, it's Mr. Oz! And to have that be a complete and utter misdirect <sighs> was a real letdown. And then to have it be Jorel is just you know, a a kick in the face when you're already down. And so it hit me real hard. I'm not going to lie. That was, it was real rough at the end of this.
0: For me as well. And to your question about, you know, introducing new elements and when does it work and when does it not, I think maybe we can come up with somewhat of a test because with, with John and Lex, there's forward movement. And it's organic, especially with John, with Lex, you know, I guess you could argue either way, but with John, it's like, you know, Lois and Clark have been together for a long time. They've been married. I mean, it's a, it's a natural, logical next step here. We're looking backwards, which it can be fine and it can be very fruitful to mine from the past, but this bordered on sacrilege by tainting the, the origin story and I have more to say on that, but the other piece is at the end of the Oz effect, Superman breaks the staff, right? So Oz's look, right? He has the the cloak and the staff and Superman breaks the staff. And the implication seems to be that that was controlling him to some extent or clouding his judgment, influencing him in some way, because Oz seems to have this moment of clarity where it's like, I see what you represent to these people. And that that kind of pissed me off because it's like, you know what? if you want to touch the Superman origin story and you want to bring Jor-El in and you want to make him a villain and you want to put us through all of this, like have the balls to do it and actually commit to it. Don't cop out and say, oh, he was being influenced. And this is something, I don't even know that this is a Juergens thing. I feel like this came from elsewhere at DC. I don't know, but it really, it really rubbed me the wrong way, like in in multiple respects, but that, that in particular, it's like, if you're going to do this it's like I said when I did the Smallville wish list, and I don't know if you got to this part yet. But like when they kill off Jimmy Olsen and then reveal, oh, no, it was actually Henry James Olsen all along. It's like, no, no. If you want to kill Jimmy Olsen, you kill Jimmy Olsen, and you stick to it.
1: You kill that guy. I mean,
0: it's like, you know, come on. Uh, but yeah, and now, how do you feel about how do you feel about the Flashpoint Thomas Wayne Batman? Because I see a big. Difference, but how do you feel about that?
1: I like Thomas Wayne. Batman. Um, if it were actually Thomas Wayne, Bruce's actual father from this universe, I would feel about it the way I feel about Jor El here. Yeah, the fact that it is a, a, an alternate reality. Um, I I think that. Th- what it does for our Bruce Wayne, what it does for our Batman is really, really powerful. Um, I didn't love everything about flashpoint, but one of the high points of flashpoint for me was the, the Batman, the, the retelling of Batman in that world where it's Bruce who's murdered and Thomas Wayne becomes Batman and Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. And I loved that. I loved it. It's so elegant but it works because it's an alternate reality. If you bring that here and make it the singular reality, I'd be, I'd be having the same problem with what, what are the implications? Batman's entire mission for the last 20 years has been to avenge his parents death. And if any, if either one of them isn't dead, what does that say about the mission? I mean, it, 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 it destroys the entire character and, I don't I don't know that this destroyed Superman as a character conceptually but it just it's just not a version of Superman that that I'm interested in where where Jor-El is is present in that way.
0: Yeah, I think I, I I I'm with you on that and I think there are other other lines we can draw because yes, the fact that it's an alternate timeline that goes a long way towards me being okay with it and I also feel like Thomas Wayne it has something to say because it is an interesting flip where it's like okay now it's the parent who has to soldier on in this unimaginable after this unimaginable event and what does that do to them and then yes when you can put that Thomas Wayne up against our Bruce Wayne that opens up a lot and it does feel i mean yes it's contrived i guess to get to that point but then it it feels natural in terms of how that dynamic is going to unfold as they explore that whereas here it was not an alternate timeline and it very easily could have been it bothers me right? on, on so many levels and also it's it would be one thing if it was a jorel from an alternate timeline who jorel had been the one in the rocket but you know basically the like uh, essentially what they did with with batman just sort of flipping it and then you can see you know what what would jorel have been like growing not growing up but living, you know living on earth coming there as a fully formed adult as opposed to this, where he is manipulated by this unseen force. I think that, you know, and I wasn't even really thinking about this ahead of time, but it's, so this is coming to me in the moment, but I think that added to my, to the distaste that I had for this, where on top of him surviving, he's manipulated in this way. I mean, even to the point of being outright influenced or corrupted by the energy and the staff or whatever. But, so it just doesn't feel as, as, as natural Uh, And and again, I think it just all kind of comes back to this, just this gut feeling that there are certain deaths, character deaths, or, or, you know, aspects of an origin story that you just don't touch. And it's such an ingrained piece of the Superman story. And I'll even be open-minded and say, okay, if you're going to do that, what is the payoff? And I don't know what we really get from this. My father survived, he wishes he didn't send me here, it's crazy. It's like, I, I don't know, I just don't know what value we really get. So I, I was really, really let down by that. And I knew going in it was going to be jor but man, did not care for it.
1: Yeah, and even listening to you talk about it just now, I realized, like, if they wanted to make this sort of an alternate reality thing, they already had the setup because we have the merging of these two, (laughs) like the whole story is set up to merge the two things. So like you could have had him be a Jor-El from a different timeline universe, whatever it is, and then just have him here and he could still do all the things that he does here. As long as it's not that (laughs) Jor-El and it might've worked.
0: And I, maybe I missed something, I don't know, but I was also unclear on exactly what his plan and motivation were because it was like, these people aren't deserving of you saving them, but they're all going to be destroyed anyway. in this upcoming event, yeah. I, what, what, so what are we even doing? Why are we going through this exercise? Don't try to save them, I guess. Leave with me now. Well, I, I mean, I,
1: what I got from it was it was less about jor and it was more about how can we, how can we use that to showcase why Superman is, is important right because by having a character a foil uh, who says human beings are essentially evil and given the option they will always choose evil it gives superman a chance to respond to that both verbally and then physically with his trademark hopefulness to say they're not evil you know if they're if they are shown the way they can they are capable of, of tremendous good and that's what superman's always stood for right um and to have him have to teach that lesson to his own father i guess sort of adds there's sort of i guess an elegance to that i don't know how well this story really accomplishes that if that was indeed the goal
0: right yes uh, it, yeah I, I mean i don't know what else i have to say about mr oz other than oh this and I know, again, benefit of, of hindsight, but I don't want to, for anyone, I know I did a whole episode on Superman and Lois season one, but uh, for anyone who skipped that because they didn't want spoilers because they haven't watched it, I'll try to keep this vague. The Superman and Lois did a great job of playing with the Kryptonian family tree and showing that there are other options and other ways to accomplish something very similar. And here, it wouldn't have had the weight of the reveal Although, I don't know, maybe there could have been another Kryptonian who they would have had, you know, uh, zor me, I don't know, something where it's like we could have had the the punch of the reveal without undermining the origin story. I feel like there were other ways that then still could have gotten at this idea of these people aren't deserving of you. But don't we
1: often get that perspective with Zod? yeah. Right. You know, Zod's many attempts to either turn Earth into another Krypton, you know, terraform it or, you know, bring the Kryptonians back. You know, a lot of his arguments tend to be, you know, why do you care about these people? They're inferior to us. They're 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 ants. They're worthless. Right. Uh, and, And so you could accomplish that as easily with Zod, who had already been introduced into this run anyway. I, maybe, maybe you do it with, with him. I, I don't know. It just, it's, I don't know. So much of it just doesn't sit right. with me.
0: I don't, this is, this is one area. I don't think we're alone. I don't think my sense was that this was not well received. And I know while I haven't read the Bendis run yet, I know that he, Oz continues to play a role in there and that the storyline is ultimately resolved, but not as far as I know, not via a retcon. They don't undo this which I'm sure at some point will happen. You know, the jor thing doesn't rise to the level of this for me, but the the other time where I was so put off by by a story choice was, and I know people are going to be with me on this, the Sins Past storyline and Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> right, right. And that was an instance where, I mean, I felt sick reading that. The, I was like, this just feels so wrong. And it took years and years, but it was eventually retcon. So I feel like at some point we'll you know we'll, we'll get that here but it was unfortunate. The I thought that the Booster Gold arc, the Jurgen's final arc on this booster shot, we got a we got a little something there where, you know, Superman wants to travel back to Krypton to to see those final moments because as much as Jorel seems to, you know, present a convincing case that he is in fact Jorel. You can't know for sure and Superman's been through enough where he knows things aren't always as they appear. So, the fact that he wants to investigate more fully, takes it upon himself to steal the Cosmic Treadmill and then runs into Booster Gold. I thought that was a nice jumping off point for that arc. It doesn't justify Mr. Honest at all, but at least we got something out of it. And obviously Booster Gold, uh, Jurgen's creation, and he drew. Going back to the art, he drew the first couple of parts of that, so that was neat. I wanted to ask you because Booster, there are a couple of instances where Booster makes reference to him and Superman as time's finest. <laughs> right. And I can't help but wonder if Jurgens was, you know, maybe trying to subtly pitch uh, a Superman booster gold uh, team up series. See if people would latch onto that.
1: Be interesting. I'd, I'd probably give that a shot.
0: Yeah. And so on that arc, we go back to Krypton and then to Booster's timeline and then to, uh, Uh, you know i don't know what's 10 or 15 years in the future and we see the planet that zod had taken his family to and they've of course subjugated it and and that's when our heroes enter the picture Uh, what did you think of the booster shot arc it's it's
1: hard to be objective about it because it comes after the oz effect right and so i'm already just so soured um i like booster gold a lot um i like booster when jurgens writes him i like Uh, Booster when Juergens draws him, Um, I I was I was again sort of tepid on on this arc. I mean, part of it, as you said before, like it's sort of retrograde in that it it looks backwards rather than forwards. But then there are also elements that look forward, and I again I thought it was it was fine. It was fine. (laughs) Yeah, I I wish I had more to say, but I, I was really in a bad place after uh, after the Oz effect. And so I don't think I, I don't think I was capable at that point of giving it a fair shot.
0: Yeah. The things that I liked about it. I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest booster gold fan. I don't dislike the character, but it generally doesn't really do much for me, but I liked his use in this story mostly at the very end, right? Cause he spends this whole story reminding Superman, we have to be very careful. We can't change the past. And, As Booster Shot is unfolding, we have this subplot. We finally get a a, a, what I actually quite enjoyed, this subplot of Lois and John, unbeknownst to her initially, uh, rescuing her father, General Sam Lane. I really enjoyed that storyline, and it seemingly ends at a certain point with all of them getting gunned down. And when Superman and Booster return to the present, right after witnessing Krypton explode, you know, Booster realizes what's happened to to Superman's family, and he's like, he's already seen his world die. I can't do this to him again. Like, it's Superman. And so he goes back those few seconds uh, and, and is able to save them. And so I, I like that. I really like that moment. And I like the Sam Lane subplot. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I guess I don't have that much to say myself yeah divorced from the oz effect it's a solid story knowing where it's kind of coming from does (laughs) sully it a little bit but but i liked it and i really felt like jurgens was having fun playing with with booster
1: i'll give you credit because because i i don't know that i was able to see what you just explained in it when i when i was reading it um but but hearing you talk about it i i think i agree with you i think that there's probably something there that's that's worth praising um but again i think it's because the the core of the story is ultimately an emotional one rather than a physical one you know to 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 have to have you know to, to to have to relive the destruction of one home and family and then the parallel narrative is the destruction of your other home and family i i think that i think there's something nice about that and and to have you know to have it resolve you know without having to to go through that tragedy retains a sort of hopeful feel moving into what whatever is going to follow this uh, uh, is nice, right? It's, right. It's, it does leave it on a positive note. So, all right, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then that of course was Jurgen's final major arc. He got a special to sort of tidy up his business and he fights a Lex Luther, a time traveling Lex Luther, an older one from the future. And and what was your what was your takeaway from that? Did did you feel like Superman had gotten to a point where he genuinely trusts Lex? Was that what we were supposed to sort of glean from that?
1: So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I must have missed that in the in the oh, reading list. That's I OK.
0: Didn't,
1: so I yeah. So I didn't read the special.
0: So oh, tell okay. me all about it. Okay. It's at the end of the booster shot trade. Oh, That's where it's collected. Where Superman's fighting someone in armor and he realizes in the end that it's a Lex, an older Lex from the future with hate, a hate in his heart. Um, but I, my, I mean, I don't know. My reading of it at least was, uh, cause at the end, our present Lex, you know, asks Superman about who it was and Superman won't say that it's Lex. He's like, uh, you know, a diseased old man or something like that. Um, and it, my takeaway seemed to be that he, was putting the his past with Lex behind him and, and was was moving forward with him. I'd be curious to know what what others thought about that. But you know, Jergens had that special and then uh, I don't know if I'm sure you read it at the time even if you didn't reread it now, but uh he wrote the first story in Action 1000, the 12-pager. It was it was I was, was a nice little story about the Metropolis wanting to celebrate him and thank him. And he's sort of put off about, you know, uh, you know th- th- kind of being in that capacity and being the center of attention in that way. But, you know, everyone around him, particularly Lois uh, and the Justice League as well, you know, really try to impress upon him that, you know, he kind of needs to do this for them. He needs to let them thank him because that's what the city needs uh, to, to do for him uh, in, in appreciation uh, of, of everything he's done for them. So it was a nice, I, I thought a nice little story to sort of <clears throat> end this Jergens era of action comics.
1: Yeah, and if you remember when we were talking about his 90s run, some of our most favorite issues were the ones that, you know, there was no physical fight. It was mostly focused on, you know, supporting cast, like sort of quieter stories. Uh, I remember one in particular where it was uh, Lois writing uh, an article for the Daily Planet that was uh, basically about why why Superman's great and why we need him and why we should appreciate him more. Right. And 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 from what I remember having read that, that story the first time it had that vibe to it um you know because because when you have an arc that has gone through as much of the and and really thinking about it like there's a lot of darkness to to this run so you do need to punctuate it i think with a story that reminds us again of why we love superman and what he stands for and and that hopefulness so uh from what i can recall uh i i think that story was was A fitting end, I guess, for for Jurgens run.
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the end of his run, he was ushered out to make way for Bendis. And I know people, I don't know that I would even say are split on it. I I feel like I hear far more often from those who wish that Jergens and Tomasi on Superman as well and Gleason had been allowed to to continue on. Like I said, I have not read the Bendis run yet, except for his introductory Man of Steel miniseries. I know the main beats of his run and I can't say I'm a fan, but I go into all these things with an open mind. So in the future, I will read the Benda stuff and we'll give it a fair shake. Mm -hmm. I will end on this. (laughs) And I know this might sound odd given that I know I wasn't that, that high on the Jergens run, but man, I wish he had continued (laughs) because recently on Twitter, someone posted about the 90s villain Conduit, Kenny Braverman, the former classmate uh. of Clark's, who who develops these kryptonite powers and has a grudge against Clark and dismantles the Clark Kent life and identity. This the death of Clark Kent storyline. I've long been a fan of Conduit as you and listeners know, every time like we talk about, oh, what's a villain they should have used? I'm like Conduit, there's so much untapped yep. potential here. So someone posted about Conduit and Jurgens himself actually responded and said Had we not left the book, we were going to do this big conduit arc starting in action that one (laughs) thousand and one. That was it would have been written for you. Well, you know, it's funny, though, because now part of me after this discussion, part of me is like, I don't know (laughs) what would I have liked it as much as I think I would have liked it based on this. Maybe not. I don't know. But I would have liked the opportunity to read it.
1: So I'm I'm not as high on Conduit as you are. I mean he was fine. I I I don't have anything against him. I suspect and I and I hate to say this, I suspect that it also might have felt like a cover band of the you know, a cover band of the of the Jurgen's greatest hit that is conduit, you know? Yeah. Um that that it wouldn't have quite lived up to your memories of of conduit from back in the day.
0: It's true. You know, we we've used this analogy of the 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 cover band uh, throughout this episode. And look, it's a matter of perspective. Uh, A cover band playing greatest hits can be a beautiful thing. And, and to sort of bring this all full circle, I think that at, at that point in time coming off of the new 52, which did sell well and it did bring new people in. And like I said, I see, I see it online of people talking about having love for that version of Superman and, getting into Superman with with that iteration, but at the same time, I know for myself and the people I talked to at the comic shop, you know, you get a sense that there there was definitely a divide there, and so at that point in time, maybe a cover band playing the greatest hits was what the character and the fans needed, even if for us reading it now in a vacuum, it doesn't totally hold up, and as I always say, I'm never here to take away from anyone's enjoyment, so I don't my objective here was not to convince anyone this is not this is not as good a run as they remember. At the same time, if anyone's like, how could you think this? I would, I maybe I would ask you, well, when's the last time you read it? If you read it as it was coming out and you loved it, but you've never gone back to it since, I, I would be curious to know whether you still feel the same way upon reread. So that's the only question I would pose back to the audience. And honestly, I hope the answer is that you love it just as much, if not more. Is there anything that you want to say before we sign off?
1: Yeah, I'll echo that sentiment that, that you know, yes, this was definitely an episode that tended to skew a little bit more toward the negative. However, knowing that there are massive fans of this run makes me really happy. I, I I love nothing more than to think that there are more fans of Superman. And if those were created at this particular moment when this run started, that's great. You should love Superman for whenever it was that you got into Superman. But without understanding, we have to recognize, and I think we've we've sort of said this a few times, and and I I don't think I'm the only guest you've said this with that so much of your enjoyment or not of anything you read, but it has it's a sort of particular thing with with serialized superhero comics. So much of your enjoyment is when you read it, right? What what phase of life, what age you were, kind of where you were in your life, the baggage that you brought. To it that determines why this is your favorite story and why something else isn't, regardless of what the fans and the critics and 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 everybody else says. Like, love what you love, yes, and don't apologize for it at all. You know, love what you love. I'm I'm a '90s X-Men kid, you know, and '90s X-Men is not particularly fondly remembered. It's most people say it's too convoluted and the stories go, you know, with alternate timelines and convoluted uh crossover things and and that was my bread and butter that was my gateway drug without that i'm not sitting here with you right now so even on rereads like i found that it holds up for me and there are lots of people who read it and go this is utter garbage and you know what that's okay i love it i'm not gonna apologize for it if this wasn't my favorite run of superman again you and i have read so much superman that there's bound to be a couple of runs here and there that just aren't our favorite. And, and we shouldn't apologize for that either. So you love it. Love it. We have our take. So,
0: Well said, my friend. And speaking of convoluted 90 stories, my Spider-Man gateway was a clone saga. So oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, again, I know I said this earlier too, but it, like I said, on a, on a, positive note i suppose it really it gave me even more appreciation for the early triangle era because y- you see i think they made it look kind of effortless and you realize that no there was a lot that went into that too to have those bur- books burks, to have those books working in unison and okay. crafting those subplots the way that they ebbed and flowed that to me was one of the biggest things that was missing here and yes it was yeah. a lot of action it lived up to its title right on for that but it was those other moments that that give it the texture and the nuance and and the point of connection in a, in a lot of respects and that's what I, what I kind of found was missing in it but it made me just look back and like you know there was really something special about what those books were doing at that point in time so
1: i i agree and, and maybe part of part of our appreciation for that is that you were getting a Superman book every week in the 90s, right? But each one, because it was a different writer and artist team, each one had its own flavor, right? So we didn't have the time to let one particular story get stale because every month you were switching to a different focus. And with this, I mean, to their credit, you know, Action Comics is one continuous story. And Tomasi and Gleason's Superman is one continuous story. So from a from a reader standpoint, maybe it is more effective at that point in 2016 to give readers one book that they could follow. Like you said, mm. you were reading Superman, but not action, and it didn't interfere with the reading experience. But then again, there is the charm of, of having it pass on, you know, pass the baton from book to book, and we didn't get that here.
0: Yes. All right, folks. Well, that was the Rebirth Action Comics run written by Dan Jurgens. Next week, returning guest, sweet, sweet Bernie Gersmeyer will be here, and he and I will be talking about the Rebirth-era Superman run by Tomasi and Gleason. So uh, our Rebirth coverage will continue. Scott, thank you so much. This was really a lot of fun.
1: My absolute pleasure. This is always a blast. I look forward to it. It feeds my soul.
0: Right on. And Scott will be back for upcoming episodes with lighter reading assignments. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I promise. Uh, So thank you, Scott. Thank you to the audience. As always, I really do appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you come back next week. And until then, remember it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.